Thank you for listening to Therapy for Guys. My name is Kike Autry, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in Katy, Texas. In this podcast, I want to explore the issues that men stay silent about, our struggles with anxiety and depression, our relationship issues, obstacles that we face with a diagnosis like ADHD or autism or OCD, and our big existential crises, those related to spirituality and religion, to larger cultural realities, and to the question of the meaning of life. If you enjoy this podcast and you would like to learn more about me, I would encourage you to check out my website. You can find it at kikeautry.com. That's Q-U-I-Q-U-E-A-U-T-R-E-Y.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to connect. And as always, remember, continue the conversation. In this episode of the podcast, I speak with Jay Baker. Jay is a speaker, author, and he leads the Revolution Gathering in Seattle, Washington. Some of the episode highlights include a really in-depth and beautiful discussion of Jay's mother, Tammy Faye, and in my thought that she is really a saint for this radical Christianity that we get into. We joke and connect over our mutual respect and love for Peter Rollins, who I've had on the show a few times and who is best friends with Jay. Um, I'm actually quite jealous about that. And we joke that I'm going to try to become Pete's best friend. So watch out, Jay. (laughs) Uh, we, We discuss our mutual admiration for the theologian Paul Tillich, the philosopher Hegel, and guys like Todd McGowan and, and how they have shaped our understanding of a radical Christianity. Uh, Jay discusses just the centrality of therapy in his own life, and we get into the importance of you know men going to therapy. Uh, we talk about our, not just cultural, but our human tendency to scapegoat and why that's so problematic, especially in politics. Uh, Jay gets into his concept of an, an anarchic radicality of grace, the anarchy of grace, really powerful concept. Uh, we discuss the centrality of empathy. 
you know, in in the episode, I forgot to mention that the great psychotherapist Irvin Yalom defines empathy as looking out another person's window, or you know, channeling Jay's mother, Faye, Tammy Fay. Uh, empathy is looking through another person's eyes as best as we can, and so I really hope that this is a conversation that inspires you, even if you're not religious or a Christian. Um, who knows what that even means to me at this point? There's a lot in here to challenge you, to inspire you, to encourage you, and to just get you thinking and having conversations with other people in your life, because that's what it's about, going out, connecting with others, and continuing the conversation. Jay, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast, Therapy for Guys. I'm super excited to connect with you tonight and just have this conversation to see where it goes. Well, thanks, man. It's great to be here. Dude, I've got to say I'm I'm jealous because my recent man crush is Peter Rollins. And when you told me that you've got you guys have been best friends for 10 years, a little part of me died inside. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, you could you could try to steal him away. Um, I, I might be able to take you, uh, <laughs> go for it, man. It's a lot of persistence though. You really have to be persistent with him. Well, you know, he's already shared that he's not great at answering emails. So, you know, <laughs> well, he's not good at any type of formal communication. So <laughs> okay. except for, like telephone, he's like an eight, like, I think Pete may have been made like in a factory somewhere. Got you. Cause like, he doesn't like, he also doesn't have a lot of, um, you know, like, like I can't, you know, you can't bring up a lot of like things from like the past, like, you know, mm. like, you know, like, oh, you know, in the eighties when we did this and he's like, yes, you too. That's like his answer for everything. <laughs> like he knows who you two is and he knows that Miami Vice was a cool show. But besides that, he doesn't have a lot of, uh, of, of, of clear memories. No, he's, he, Pete's, you know, fascinating. Yeah. And, he and, seems and, like know, a, just a genuine it, loving know, like, person. You know, and I don't have a lot of friends, and so it's really strange to like have Pete as my best friend. Um, he's he's an intense, interesting, hilarious human being, and I mean, our friendship at this point is, you know, I mean, he's he's like family. You know, I mean, he is family. Like wow. when I went home, I like I go see his mom, and his mom's, you know, we're hugging each other and hanging out. Like I have to go see his mom every time I go into town, you know, and it's like, um, yeah, Pete's and his work changed my life. And it was a weird thing is cause that didn't happen right away. You know, we got kind of became friends and then I went through a really tough time 
after my second divorce and uh, finally cracked open a couple of his books, I think mm. out of just pure desperation. And um, was really like, <laughs> was really surprised that he had some good things to say. <laughs> um, you know, but he's helped me along the way with philosophy and things like that. And as my ch- message has changed over time, he's been sure. there a lot. I mean, he's one of the few people who really convinced me uh, not to quit. When I went through my second divorce and, and, and you know, I, I was very suicidal and I had a really tough time. And and he was like, a lot of people were like, yeah, you should take some time off. Mm. Yeah, you maybe you should figure out something else to do. And he was like, no, this is what we do, man. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, he's, he's a great, he's not just a great philosopher. He's a great human being. Wow. So, so, so Jay, let me say this. I, I have a good friend when, when I was finding out about Pete through Richard Boothby, I have a friend that said, Oh my God, you need to connect with Jay Baker. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if he actually knows you, but, but he threw out your name. And so I kind of started following you on Instagram. So I have to admit, I don't know much about you except for just really binging the fuck out of your your your, your mom's like the documentary about her we watched her yeah. movie twice and then we saw uh one punk under god which was incredible so I, i'd love to hear more about your story and then if we can maybe explore some things around your mom which are, yeah. are just really powerful for me in the, in the current moment well, it's, it's, yeah. Well, one, Pete would be very happy that you don't know that much about me. Okay. You really like his work. <laughs> yes. That would make him very happy. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> he's a evil little man. Um, no, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, you know, and it's funny because, like, yeah, it's a weird connection. Um, uh, you know, so for me... My, I've been doing what I've been doing for almost 30 years now. Wow. Which is revolution. Okay. And revolution was originally a church for a very long time. And now we call ourselves a gathering. Okay. You know, and, and that's just because I feel like the church is uh, not a place where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I just don't feel like that's the right word for us to use. Um, but for me, you know, I grew up, as you saw in the documentary, like, son of like two of the most famous televangelists in the world. Yeah. And, you know, basically my parents built this huge retreat center that also had a water park and all like hotels. And it was like third to Disney. I, I discovered it was third to wow. Disney. Yeah. <laughs> Which is insane. Cause it was in like, you know, it was on the border of North and South Carolina. So we're talking mm. like Fort mill and rock Hill, like not a lot of areas that people know of. Sure. <laughs> being, you know, it wasn't like Orlando in LA, you know? And, um, yeah. And so it was, it was really wild growing up. You know, I had to have security guards. Um, I was on TV a lot. I mean, you know, thousands and thousands of people got my, my, um, you know, my, uh, school pictures every year, you know, wow. it was that type of thing is where my family was kind of like, fully immersed into the work, you know, and, and the family was part of that, um, which has affected me in a lot of negative ways, but also positive ways. And so I'm definitely an individual, you know? Mm. Um, and then, you know, in the growing up in that, and then in the late eighties, around 87, there was this big scandal that just shook everything apart, you know? Sure. And then a couple of years later, my father goes to prison and gets 45 years. Wow. Um, so, that was really wild, you know, watching your parents talk about Jesus loves you every day. And then all of a sudden, like 
nobody seemed to love them back, you know? And, and everybody wanted to sit on the couch with them one day. And then the next day, no one wanted to even touch them with the 10 foot pole. Well, and it sounds like things got really fucked up with Jerry Falwell. That really pissed me off. Jerry Falwell came in to kind of like, to kind of like say that he was going to help my family, but ended up doing a bait and switch Mm. and taking over, taking over the whole thing. And really, just really, like really destroying my parents' ministry. When yeah. my parents put a lot of faith in him to help them, like get through the the scandal. And um, you know, and so you go from like that, then like you know, we're and I was used to like local DJs and stuff like that making fun of my parents, you know, because okay. my mom wore a lot of makeup and she was, you know, she was very much an individual. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and, and very out, you know, lots of makeup, very loving of people, very you know, just great spirit um i mean that's why there's a film about her starring jessica chastain that's why you know elton john's you know just did a play in london about my my mom you know and my dad i didn't realize that so it's like yeah there was you know i just was out in london a couple months ago and i got to see it and it was really great it was really amazing to see and um can i can i pause you real quick and my, my, my my honest like response to all the makeup i, I got upset because all these motherfuckers right are like making fun <laughs> of her and doing all these t-shirts yeah. and, and the ridicule i don't know from my perspective it seemed like she was tapping into beauty aesthetics and i don't know from from my angle like a performative way of thinking about identity in the world i, no, I don't know i don't right. know if that resonates with you or if you have a different it perspective. does resonate and you can you can continue to record and, and go on that because that you know, I mean, my mom's makeup in some ways was her, her, I can't remember who said it, but it's like, you know, often when we wear a mask, we're able to be who we truly are. Yeah, absolutely. And my mom's makeup was a, a way of her allowing her to be who she really was. Mm. And she grew up not feeling attractive. And it's weird thing is my mother was a very attractive woman. Very beautiful. Makeup. Yeah. Yeah. But she wore the makeup and it was kind of an armor and the calendar allowed her to be transparent in every other area of her life. Wow. And I remember the last year of her life, um, she was at home, you know, she had, she, she, she died from cancer, colon cancer. Mm. And she came out and she was touching my tattoos on my arms and, <laughs> and she goes, you know, your tattoos are like my makeup, mm. you know? And she's like, they kind of protect you, don't they? You know, and I was like, yeah, I, 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 I guess so. You know, you know, it's kind of like a weird type of art. You come in and you're like, all right, well, everybody can judge me now and let's get it over with, you know? Mm. And it allows you to be your transparent self. I mean, it's probably, I mean, I'm sure it's very like Freudian and Tillichian and all of that. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you say Tillich. People study Tillich, but... <laughs> It, would it be Talikian? <laughs> I don't know. Um, hey, that's something probably Pete would know. <laughs> yeah, Pete would know that. Yeah, or make fun of me, or let me well, say it the wrong. I, I would email him and ask him, but I wouldn't hear back. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's not worth it. Um. So yeah, it's it's um. Yeah, you know, and, and people did make fun of it, but it was funny. Is weird thing is, I remember in the malls when you go to the mall lot, and they had this yeah. shirt. The eighties, I ran into Tammy Faye at the mall, and it's like a makeup. That, that's the one that 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 got to me when i saw that yeah and you know she would laugh and she would autograph them wow you know 
And she always just really loved people, even when they were mean to her. Like if they were mean to her, she would go like, well, at least shake my hand, at least get to know me. Dude, that and, scene in the movie, yeah. I don't know if it's based on reality, but when those like douchebag teenagers, and I work with teenage boys, that's my specialty. <laughs> so I know those oh. fucking assholes, how they can be <laughs> when, when they're making fun of her. And she, the, wa- she the walks up thing to- is the story. The story is even better than what they put in the film. Okay, please and tell I me sat, the story. After I saw the film, I sat down with the, with, with the writer and director and said, okay. you guys <laughs> should have called me. Wow. Because the story is better. These kids were making fun of her and it was at the mall. Mm. And um, so she walked up and goes, hey, kids, you know, I get it. You're going to make fun of me. But if you're going to make fun of me, at least meet me first. Wow. And then she goes, I don't know what you guys are doing. But if you want, there's a Marie Callender's upstairs, which is like a pie food restaurant. You know, she goes, oh, yeah, I'll take you guys up. You can order whatever you want and we can just chat. And they said, yes, they were like little skateboard guys because she, and she knew me because I grew up in skateboarding and she knew my friends like wild looking kids weren't anything crazy to her. And she took them up and bottom launch and talked to them, you know? And I'm like, and it was kind of cool because I also know that time in her life when she was in California in Palm, Palm desert, you know, she was kind of lonely. So I thought how cool that was that she did that for them, but how cool it was that she got to spend time with these kids I'm like, I don't think I would have the guts to do that. Like Uh, if someone like confronted me for making fun of them and invited me to lunch, I would be like, no, I gotta go. And, um, and it was a really, that was really my mom's spirit. There was something really special about my mom. And it's interesting that you say this stuff is because the same came out of like me and Pete's friendship. And Helen, who he also works with and does films with. I wanted they, to ask have, about that because she commented on an Instagram thing. And I was like, wait, who is this person? Uh, and then I looked at some of her posts and she had all this stuff about your mom and, and referred to her as a saint, which which I want to call her a saint of <laughs> yeah. like this radical Christianity. I was like, fuck, what's going on here? Well, Helen's one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. Wow. Um, like – She's one of those people who reads Hegel and understands it. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I, I try and can't understand it. <laughs> you know, like Pete gives me a hard time about like how long it takes me to read like the he- Hegel's commentary, you know. But like Helen is the one who makes fun of him of how long it takes him to get through wow. it. You know what I mean? Like she's brilliant. She speaks like six different languages. She's just great. And they've done this. They have a, a, a production company called Magician's Niece. Oh, okay. Are they related? And, um, uh yeah and they made films they made a film together oh okay have you you know that film making love they had a film called that um trying to think of the other they've made a few indie films got you i'm kind of a newbie but but i'm I'm realizing i have a lot of homework to do (laughs) oh yeah so they've made a few films together and um and and they're both just really brilliant people and when we were all together they started having a lot of the same insights about my mother as well got you and um, so that's when we all we decided we were going to do this project together. And originally, it was just going to be like a psychoanalytic look at my mother's life. Okay, wow. But then we ended up talking to Vice about it, and this is probably all I can say about it. Sure. It's still in production. Sure, sure. But um, and and Vice said, "Yeah, we we want to do this. We're interested." So we started this work on this this doc, and it's become a lot bigger than we had originally intended. Mm. Um. But yeah, it's it's yeah. I'll let you I'll let you go and ask what you want to ask. But yeah, it's it. She's she was the real deal, you know. And I was really really grateful to have her as a mother. 
No, that's amazing. And kind of in very similar lines of work, you know? Okay. Okay. So Jay, I paused you and, you know, it's my job as a therapist to remember everything. So you were kind of tracing out your own story because I'm, I'm also very interested in learning about you. You, you, were, you were kind of telling the audience kind of where you came from. And then right yeah. when you talked about your mom, I paused you. So growing up where you grew, grew up, I guess, what did your teenage and like early adulthood years look like? I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah, well, I mean, my teenage years, well, everything happened when I was about 11 was when the scandal happened. Okay. And so around that time, um, my father and mother are trying to rebuild something new. And so they try to start a show out in Florida, around oh, okay. Orlando, Florida. Um, but then my dad has, uh, it has to go to court. It's the federal government versus Jim Baker because they're saying he's guilty of wire fraud and mail fraud. I mean, it's ridiculous what try to get, how to try to get into it because it doesn't, it's not about stealing money. It's about overbooking hotels, basically. Got you. So my dad gets these charges against him. And so, you know, we were on the front page of every newspaper, Saturday Night Live skits and all this stuff, like mm. in 87, 88, 89, around, you know, around end of 89, it seems like things are starting to slow down. But then my dad's case starts up. And of course, the media is everywhere again. And I was going to a Christian Baptist school okay, called, called First Academy. And, um, and the problem was at this school is the teachers were giving me a harder time than the students. Oh, geez. How so? You know? Well, just unconsciously, like I would just get in trouble for everything. Okay. Like if I wash it, like you're supposed to have a pocket on your t-shirt. If I forgot my pocket on my tee, I got sent home. If I had any issues, like, you know, I was, there was a little girl, there was a girl I liked. It was in seventh grade. Like, we were calling <laughs> her as a boyfriend and girlfriend. They yeah. called her parents and were like, you got to get your daughter away from this kid. Oh my you God. Know? It was just like, they just kind of, like I was, because of who my parents were, I was just like, seen as like this project or this troubled child. And, um, so I ended up dropping out uh, there and then going to high school. I just went from seventh to ninth grade and not because of grades. It's just because my mom knew I had friends who were in high school and thought she just went and signed me up, <laughs> put me in, which nobody asked about until six months into that oh first year of ninth grade. And it was already, they let me stay because I was already there for so long. But, um, but it was because there was so much going on. And for me going into the public school system was better. Like mm. being in a way, like it was like meeting normal kids sure. who seemed to think it was actually kind of cool. You know, I mean, there were fuss fights too. I mean, there were people who said dumb stuff, Okay, but um, you know, these teachers didn't really have time to care about who I was because they had a full workload, gotcha. you know, gotcha. it wasn't a private school. You know, they weren't worrying how <laughs> They weren't worrying what I was doing when I was off campus. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. <laughs> As the other school was. And um, so it, it was a nice change. And it was kind of my first experience of like inclusion and mm. feeling somewhat normal. Um, at the same time, you know, having to go visit my dad in prison, mm. you know, and leave him there. And that was huge. That was really scary. You know, oh, I so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't an easy life. Um, but I was, I'm grateful for like some of the friends I had when I was a teenager, cause they definitely helped to make my life better. And, you know, I was given Pete a hard time on Instagram when he posted up that he did an interview with you. And I was like, 
therapy for men what I are you saw talking that. about I, saw, I was like and oh my gosh is, 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 is this guy against me I, <laughs> no 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 and, that's, and i told him, pete was like oh man you're gonna have to apologize because like, i was giving pete crap not you got you <laughs> because i've been going to therapy since i was about 12 years old got you mm. and therapy's changed my life like now i go to an analyst um but i've been on dbt i've been emdr okay, I've you've done, done it all <laughs> ED, I've had electric shock therapy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done everything. Um, and it's, it's, I respect the profession more than anything. Like, I love Freud. I love, sure. you know, I love psychology. It's changed my life. Mm. You know, it's, it's, me it's too. saves my life, you know? Um, and so for me, that's why I was, that's also why I was joking because Pete knows, like, I've pretty much lived on the, uh, on the couch. Gotcha. on the chair okay somewhere my whole life and some have been great and some have been really awful but you know also you know it was therapy that landed me in my 12-step program and why i got sober mm. when i was 20 wow you know because my 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 therapist said i think you might have a problem with drinking mm. and i was like well what do you mean you know i because in my mind i thought alcoholics were like wearing wife beaters sitting in the couch <laughs> screaming at somebody right right you know and um so therapy's had such a huge part of my life and really allowed me to accept who I am mm. and in the the strange world that I was born into, you know, this kind of like having parents that are, you know, there's some people who are like Baker apologists, you know what I mean? Like they just okay. love my family and are loyal to my family to the very end. Like some even got mad at me because I liked the movie because they didn't feel like, you know, the apologist didn't feel like the movie was accurate enough. And wow. I'm like, man, I'm just glad to have something somewhat positive. <laughs> From yeah, all the things I, I, I actually thought it was quite positive. I mean, from my perspective, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think, it, you know, they did a great job of humanizing my father as well, mm. you know. And I have a complicated relationship with my dad. I mean, I haven't talked to my dad in like three years. And, um, you know, but I've always felt that he was a good man, mm. you know. And so it was nice to see people treating him as though he was a human being. Yes. And not that he was some guy curling his mustache to like you know, he did his work because he believed in it and he loved his, loved what he did. And my mom did as well. Sure. And they were able to do that, um, do such a huge thing because they really complimented each other. Gotcha. You know, they, they were a team, That was, you know? And so when my that, mom interviewed this guy, Steve in the eighties who had AIDS before yeah, anybody else had, I, love I think that. it was 85 or 86. Um, she did it rather than my dad because my dad knew if he did it he couldn't get away with it but he was like well if my, Tammy does it and everybody kind of like oh Tammy you know she could get away with stuff so they were able to have this really great balancing act mm. of inclusion if you will um, when they did when they worked how they worked together and really love people in a really unique way you know they weren't really into politics my dad's into politics now but back then they weren't into the Christian right or anything like that right they just wanted people to accept themselves, say, hey, you can come here and have some time away. You can, you know, if your marriage is having struggles, we have marriage therapists, mm. you know, we have all sorts of different things. We have, you know, if your kids are bored and don't want to go watch preaching all day, they can go to the water park. You know, they they did something that was really wild and really creative and really different. And uh, but like coming out of all that, you know, the world really mocked it. And so then you've got this other mm. side of people who aren't the apologists. You've got the other people who just hate your family and all this stuff. And gotcha. It's like the tabloids. It's a weird world. It's a weird dynamic. Mm. How did, man, I, I guess 
and 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 I I'm always careful on the podcast. I never want to go too deep or ask questions that my clients or my clients. That's a Freudian slip <laughs> that my <laughs> that my guests feel uncomfortable with. But man, how did that Shoot. fuck with your psyche to be in the middle of both all the praise, but then also the haters? Well, I think what the high insight with a good analyst, I'm able to look back and go like, oh wow, like. I wasn't allowed to have normal feelings towards my parents, mm. you know, because I had all these groups doing them on, on their behalf, you know, so you had these groups defending them or these groups hating them, you know, wow. and, you know, and so I didn't have that kind of like normal experience. So my kind of reaction was to kind of try to protect them, mm. you know, because everything was falling apart. And those were my two structures, you know, those are the two people I had to lean on. And then my dad goes to prison. So, you know, my mom becomes somebody I've, I want to keep safe. And here my mom is able to deal with criticism in the most unarming, most loving, forgiving way, you know. But sometimes when I would be with her in places, I'd be walking behind her and I'd hear somebody say something. And my reactions were not like hers. Yeah. You know, mine were like, what the hell did you just say? You oh, know? yeah, I bet. That kind of thing. So it, it was it, it really damages you. And also how you see the church how you see like, like, and I mean, we're talking church capital C. I mean, there was okay. not a church in the world or less, less in, the, in the United States that I could go to that didn't have an opinion on my family. Okay. And oftentimes I would slip into a church and there would still be a joke mm. or they would be used as an example of what not to do, mm. you know, and this type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was really tough to, to, to grow up in that, you know? Mm. And then the thing is, is like so many people nowadays, you know, oh, well, they were famous and that's what you get. And oh, well, you were just the, you know, that's part of life, you know? It's uh, it's amazing <laughs> the lack of sympathy you get from fellow human beings. Um, but I find that to be more like an online thing. Okay. You know, the social media world. It's awful it is out person. there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like life, I'm really grateful that like the scandal didn't happen during the social media time. Oh my God. You know, cause that would have just been like five times the fire, Sure, you know, cause you just got anybody who just has a slight opinion, just saying something. Mm. And, um, so I feel like I dodged a bullet with that, but you know, it, it's taught me to have empathy for people. It's also in my work. I don't believe in scapegoating. Okay. I don't like binary thinking as far as like good and evil or conservative. I and so liberal, resonate with that. Yeah. You know, and because they scapegoat each other. And I know what it's like to have your family kind of scapegoated and been like, well, we'll just like, well, we don't like these guys. And these, your parents did the same thing and they screwed up. So we're going to just focus everything onto them, you know? Yes. And so in my work, I always try to make sure I'm not scapegoating a group of people or I'm not trying to lean like, you know, I'm not definitely not a conservative, but when I originally first came out of all this, I thought, well, maybe the liberals are the safe people, you know? Fuck no. <laughs> and no, they're not. You know, I mean, they're, 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 they've, they've somehow over the years seemed to pick up the worst parts of, 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 of like organized religion. Absolutely. You know, like the whole idea of like being canceling and all these rules and regulations and like, if like you say something in life, then all of a sudden you've been red pilled. Right. Right. You know, and so it's like, I don't find safety on either sides, but I also try not to take too much of a judgment. I try to find a place of understanding. Gotcha. Can I, can I tell you one of the things that I read from Helen Rollins when she was reflecting on your mother that I thought was so powerful was if sure. I can remember from it, she says your, your mother, Tammy took the contradictions of life and didn't create oppositions. Yeah. God, that yeah. resonated with me. Well, 
and it's and it's insane because that's a very like Hegelian idea. Absolutely. Okay? So, Absolutely. You know, and my mother has no like she wasn't a <laughs> theologian, much less a philosopher. But these are ideas that kind of came to her naturally. Mm. And that she just did. Like she just like and um and the great thing about being able to like because as you like Todd McGowan introduced me to like Hegel and, and same here got me into that, you know, so yeah, start studying Hegel. And my analyst is a Hegelian analyst, which is really oh wild and kind of cool. That's crazy. So, yeah. So I able to understand, I actually have a necklace. I don't have it on right now, but it says contradiction on it. Mm. You know, to have, to live into that contra to have a contradiction and not have that opposition or to create the opposition out of the contradiction is a really beautiful thing. And it always kind of allowed her to walk into two different worlds. Mm. So she could be with like, you know, the conservative Baptists, you know, one day and then be with drag queens, you know, it. at the gay bookstore the next day, you know, and, and, and she just loved people mm. and she just, you know, felt like there's not any room for junk here. You know, there's not, you know, church is a hospital. It's, it's not a courtroom type of I mentality of like, you know, we're here to heal people and love people and meet people where they're at. So when you kind of grow up seeing that, shown to you i mean that so i was really had a as a head start into my work yes you know both of my parents laid kind of that foundation you know it wasn't like oh i've got to become a famous preacher mm -hmm. it was oh i've got to do this and i have to do it in a different way you know i have to include people i have to love people and um and when i started to think that maybe the that religion didn't do that well i left for a little while until okay. i really started to understand the bible for myself and started to read, you know, like history books and philosophy books and, 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 and theology, you know, starting to read theology and go, oh, you know, good commentary. And so um, was, was that around the time that One Punk Under God was, was filmed? Is that? The well, no, actually, no, that would have been year. That would have been about I, we, I started in 94. Oh, okay. And that was probably in 2005. So that's probably that's like 11 years later. Oh, okay. Um, but I mean, I continued to grow on my journey over time and, um, you know, and so I've always grateful for that kind of like that love trumps everything kind mm. of idea. And like, if, you know, and to the point where I kind of like took it even a step further, you know, it's like, Hey, listen, if, if, if it's like the Buddha, like if you see the Buddha on the path, like kill the Buddha, kill you know, the Buddha I think yeah. it was like, yeah, like if you. If, if loving other people, if the Bible or religion or God gets in the way, you kill God, you kill the Bible, you push it away and you love people mm. and you connect to people. I think and Jesus would be okay with that. that. that was actually <laughs> mess, then I started to realize, wait, this is the message. Yeah. This is just the, the message that hasn't been applied to religious tradition and probably, you know, in my lifetime mm. for a long time. And so I was like, all right, well, these are the things now that I see these here, like, you know, loving your enemy. You know, doing good to those who persecute you, loving your neighbor as yourself, uh, never giving up, never losing faith, always being hopeful, enduring through every circumstance, which is nearly impossible. But this is what it's, these are the things that's talking about. Mm. And you go, oh, this is what my mom understood, you know, and you don't have to be a, a theologian to understand that. I mean, it helps. It helps to realize that that's at the essence of it. And it helps when someone who's like a neo-Calvinist or a conservative Assemblies of God or comes along and starts spewing things out at you. You right. can at least say, 
actually, no. <laughs> what this means is, uh, you know, having decent scholarship really helps. And sure. I think one of the things that's really helped me with my theology, to go back to my friend Pete Rollins, yes, Pete's helped that way, but also by introducing me to Paul Tillich, who I really got into. He's probably um, one of my, I, I don't read theology as much anymore as I used to, but he's one of the yeah. ones that I still really love and access for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, Tillich is, is amazing. Even Tillich's talks, like, even like when he would talk at like at, at the church at the schools, like I have a collection, I have three collections of books of just his talks. I don't think I've ever accessed that. Man, yeah, you, you're going to have to turn me on to that. I'd love to read I, that I definitely shit. will. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you the titles. They're, okay, they're really you. good. Shaking the Foundations is the name of one of the books. And there's a talk in there called You Are Accepted. Mm. And it's basically about grace. Mm. And if you wanted to sum up my work and what I've done for the past 30 years, the one yes, please. string that's pulled along all the way is grace, mm. is the message of grace and inclusion and acceptance. And so not just like grace is like, it's not, not, not talking about forgiveness. Right. I'm talking about pure acceptance. And I'm not talking about acceptance that comes when you change or anything. One of the things I've been saying the past couple of years is grace is anarchy. Mm. And the reason it's anarchy is it moves outside of everyone's system because no, it's not fair. You know, right, I mean, you'll right. often see like my kids, like my kids atheists, are like, that always, wasn't fair. <laughs> yeah. You know, and new atheists used to always be like, well, the guy who murdered 18 people on death row can just say a prayer and he's okay. Yeah. You know, how's that fair? And I'm like, it's not fair. That's not, <laughs> and that's not, and grace is even bigger than that because it's pure acceptance. I love that. And so um, that's kind of the thing that's rung through with my work for a long forever mm. and that's what Tillich's you are accepted talk was about and and so just getting good you know and, and the more i've understood like good scholarship and then good philosophy i find that theology kind of comes from blending those two together got you is philosophy and scholarship really creates a great theology and um and i feel like that's what Tillich was doing i think that's why Tillich was a philosopher and a theologian mm. you know and, and i really admire people like that and that's also, I mean, I guess that's what, what Pete is too. He's a theology, theologist or theology, theologian and philosopher yeah, as well. Yeah. So, so, so Jay, can, can, okay, yeah. Cause having just, this is amazing. Having just finished your documentary, would you mind just maybe talking a little bit more of how you maybe kind of developed from that point? I think it was like 2005, 2006 until now. Like what, what are, what are some of the ways that you've, grown or changed i mean what have been some of the developments in your life that you feel comfortable well, what sharing? was really interesting is that when they when they they, they the guys who did the documentary world of wonder were the guys who did the original documentary about my mom eyes of tammy Faye. yeah and they called me and said we want to do this documentary that you know ended up being like a five-part series or six-part series on I think um, it was six Sunday part, yeah. channel yeah they're like we want to do this you thing. can find it on and amc Sunday, plus to buy it and turn it into a show i was like okay you know I said, but to be honest with you guys, there's nothing in my life that's that interesting. <laughs> like, that's what I told them. I'm like, nothing in my life is that interesting. <laughs> and they knew me from my mom's stuff and, okay. and they knew my work. For, I, I had done a book called One Punk Under God. Mm. And no, um, oh, no, that was the documentary. I did a book called Son of a Preacher Man. Okay. And Rolling Stone had done an article on me. Oh, wow. Uh, like this four page article. And so like, well, we think there's something interesting here. I'm like, listen, I read, like I go to bars and I read and I'm like, I sometimes smoke cigarettes and read mm. like, that's what I do. I'm like, it's not, 
anything great. And they said, we want to do it. And they kept hounding me, flew me out, you know, put me in the nice hotels. All of a sudden, eventually like, oh, I kind of like this. So <laughs> where do I sign? I was like, it's up to you guys to find something interesting. But at that time, you know, um, things do change. Yeah. And I started to, I, I, I announced to my congregation that I was, I supported LGBTQ rights. That was powerful. And I didn't realize this, but my board got divided. I thought that was going to be the end of my job, mm. to be honest with you. Luckily, the board members who disagreed with me just stepped down. But um, but they could have voted me out if they wanted to. Yeah. And I said that. You can vote me out, but Sunday, this is what I'm saying. You know, so, sure. you know, better vote fast. And um, And so that happened. My mom got sick again. Oh. Um, she had been in remission for a while for her cancer had been and her, she gets her cancer came back and then my marriage started to get really shaky. Okay. And so of course they're there for all of this. And then I decided to move to New York so my wife can go to school. Right. To NYU to, to become a psychiatrist, I think. Yeah. To become a therapist. And I'm like going like, well, shit, I got to go. Now I'm moving to New York. I had to find a new place. So it ended up being kind of an interesting documentary for them. It was, yeah. Um, they kind of hit me at the, it's a really weird to see because my life took a huge shift right mm, then. Like okay. it was a huge shift. So I moved to New York and we start meeting at a bar called um, Pete's Candy Store. Oh yeah. 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 And, you know, a friend of mine who also has a documentary about him became my co-pastor a guy named Reverend Vince Anderson. Wow. Who's a musician and a local music. And he's just like a staple in Brooklyn and New okay, York. And okay. he plays with music called dirty gospel. Oh my gosh. Pete mentioned him in my last conversation. I was going to say, this is the dirty gospel guy. <laughs> this is. And oh, so, okay. <laughs> so Vince ends up becoming my co-pastor and Vince oh, wow. is how I met Pete. Oh, so Vince is a fan of Pete. I had heard of Pete. Um, but I honestly was a little suspicious. And, um, <laughs> cause I heard some of the stuff he was saying and I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know? And I was like, this guy's got a secret or something, you know? And anyway, he got invited to service and that's how me and Peter met. And I was going through, a, I, I had been divorced for a couple of years at that point and I'd just broken up with somebody. And so I was going through a tough time and he's like, dude, come stay out at my house, mm. you know, come stay with me out in Connecticut. So I went and stayed with him in Connecticut and we just became really great friends and he really pushed. And that's the thing about Northern Irish people is they push 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 and their comedy is even like tough you know interesting so like if you ever like you know they call it taking the piss and that's how they show love <laughs> by giving you a hard time gotcha. so that's why you see me giving pete a hard time online that's okay just, okay it's it's us just kind of giving each other nudges you know and um and so yeah i mean my work changes because i start reading you know paul tillich i start reading um Oh gosh, what's the guy's name who wrote um, Haunted? He wrote the book Haunted. I can't remember his name right now. Um, John, is it John Caputo? Yeah, Jack. Jack oh, John I love Caputo. John Caputo. He's one of my so favorites. He introduced me to John Caputo. Ended up meeting John Caputo actually, which was really cool, and reading some of his work. And so all of a sudden, I just have this huge shift. Like, so I start. I'm starting to read philosophy which I never thought I would read. I mean, I was a high school dropout, gotcha. you know, and have this really bad dyslexia. So like, like when I write a book, I always mm. work with another writer so I can get the book done on time. Gotcha. And um, matter of fact, wrote my third, read, wrote most of my third book at Pete's house. 
Wow. And um, so, so I wrote a couple books. The documentary came out, but you know, I, I, I write all this stuff, but I've really had the, like the past 15 years of my life have been pretty turmoil. Tomorrow. It's pretty, pretty hard. Sure. <laughs> Can't find a bright word for that. Sure, sure. It's been a lot of turmoil is what I was looking to say. Um, Cause I, I got remarried and I had kids and I have two really amazing kids, mm. uh, five and seven. Um, but my second marriage fell apart as well. I ended up moving to Minnesota for my, my second wife. I guess I learned that maybe I shouldn't move for women. Um, <laughs> hey, write that one down next time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Might have that one tattooed right here. On there this. you go. <laughs> Don't do it. No moving. Um, moving truck with a little circle across. It. Um, but yeah. So, um, and the funny thing is now I live in Seattle because, my ex-wife has family out here. And I said, I didn't want to live in Minnesota anymore. I was like, listen, sure. I want to keep the kids together. Yeah. So we can move out there. You know, I'll move out there. And we can keep the kids together and be in the same, same state. Um, but yeah, I, I just think these introductions and then like, you know, I was at, uh, uh, one of Pete's events wake and I met Todd McGowan, Got you. you know, and I heard Todd speak and I was like, man, I'm like, dude, you're the most punk rock guy here. You know, and I said, that's saying a lot in Belfast, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, and, and he, and he had just come out, he had given Pete the, one of the first copies of uh, the Hegel book. Oh, and yeah. I was like, you know, I was like, oh, this guy's not going to be anybody I'm interested in, but after hearing him speak. And so I started reading him and that book he wrote on Hegel really changed things for me. And I think I would say like Todd McGowan, Pete Rollins, He'll, Pete's going to love to be in this lineup. Todd McGowan, Pete Rollins, uh, Paul Tillich, Dr. King, mm. and and my mother, really, wow. allowed faith for me to kind of, something of faith for me to kind of come alive again. Mm. You know, like, like it, just, it might just be a mustard seed size of faith. Sure. But it's still there because of these folks. And, um, and allowed me to, under you know, under, you know, seeing... The Hegelian Hegel's passion for for what he saw in Christianity kind of was like a validation for me. Seeing how Dr. King, you know, saw people not as enemies, but his enemies weren't people. It was information. So he saw people mm. as, as victims of misinformation. Wow. You know, and Tillich's really radical ideas on grace. And then Hegel's ideas on contradiction and living within contradiction and dealing with the contradictions you can, but accepting the ones you can't. Mm. You know, and so these ideas, you know, and then of course all Todd's work on it, everything he talks about, like capitalism, yeah, you know, trying to fill the void, and and realizing like it's not even like Christianity is not about filling a God shaped hole or filling a void; it's about accepting the void. Mm. You know, I know I, I sometimes about, say I don't know if it's original to me, but I, I I guess it's original thought. I'm sure someone said it. I've I've thought lately, you know, we have a God-shaped hole that not even God can fill, or yeah. even cares to. <laughs> well, and it it doesn't need to be, right? You know, because right. the thing is, is I think what 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 becomes powerful is when we start to see like what we're trying to fill the lack with, right? And that we start to realize that none of those things are going to bring us peace or happiness, and so we kind of have to accept the story we find ourselves in. And so for me, that's helped a lot Mm. is, 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 is finding that. 
and accepting that where I find myself, where I fit in. Because I don't feel like I fit in a lot of places. And in a way, like, you know, where my mother was able to walk through these, you know, the right and the left and just be be available, you know, be this yes. contradiction and not have this, the, the, the like the opposition, you know, react, the opposition. Yeah. So what I've had to do is, is in a way she was able to like, not see the opposition or just kind of let the opposition kind of roll off her back. Gotcha. So I try to go into the same thing, but I see all the opposition. <laughs> I feel it all. Sure. I think about it. It frightens me. It makes me nervous. You know, and sometimes it encourages me that I'm doing the right thing. Yes. Um, but it's still, I have to do the same work, even with seeing the opposition. And realizing, though, that there's no group that I can scapegoat as the opponent, you know, or as the enemy. I can't say, like, well, it's the conservatives, you know, and, and they're right. just, they're all a bunch of racists and they all vote this way and they all think this way. Because I can point to points in my life where those people save my life. And I can't say, well, mm. it's all the liberals because they're all, canceling people and they're all woke or this or that you know i mean I, you know a lot of them are but what i realize is that like both sides are human yes and there's opposition coming from both sides and so what i've just decided is that i'm gonna have to live in this contradiction in a way because there's just certain things you have to accept about certain things and that's just part of life but i don't have to be it mm. and i think also going to belfast and looking at the troubles when, you know, everything, all the civil war that basically happened in Belfast yes. between Catholics and Protestants and listening to this band, this punk band called Stiff Little Fingers. Mm. And they would write songs about like, I don't want the right or the left. You know, I mean, I don't want the Catholics, you know, or I don't want the, the Protestants, you know, I don't want your war. You know, I want another way. Like, I'm going to go this way mm. and rejecting any binary thinking. And to me, those type of things affect my work and grace and going like, okay, so now I don't have an easy bad guy target, Wow, you know? And the problem is it's like, you know, so I'll give you an example. Please. Today is um, John Lydon's birthday. Johnny Lydon, you might know him as Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols. Mm. And he's someone I really love. I love his book. I read, read all of his books. I love PIL. His, 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 you know, I love the Sex Pistols. I think they're great. A few years ago, though, he wore a Trump shirt, like Make America Great Again. Um, and But also the things that he does is, is like he did a butter commercial so he could raise <laughs> raise money to make his own album and not have to depend on somebody else to make the album. Yeah. He also adopted his wife's grandkids as his own kids and took mm. care of them. He's, his wife is suffering from Alzheimer's and he's taking care of her in, in the late stages of really bad dementia. And he's really an interesting guy and he's got a lot of different and he's very opinionated too, you know? And, um, and so today when I was going on looking at these birthday things, everybody's like, fuck this guy. I hate John. You know, he's not <laughs> punk rock, you know, but it's all, you know, I'm going like, well, if we weigh it out, like the guy sued Disney not to use his music and he mm. lost, mm. you know what I mean? Like he takes care of his sick wife. He raised his grandkids as his own kids when he said he never wanted children. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, this guy's living life. Sure. And he's not taking the easy way out, you know? It's so easy like, to, add, to add a comment on social media, right, about what you agree right. or disagree with. Well, and it's that, it's like, you know, everybody wants to add an asterisk to grace is what I always mm. say. Like, everyone, grace, asterisk, except for, you I know, because you're always looking for who's not included. Mm. 
And so, you know, I see people online and what's hard is, is it's like a lot of liberal folks and progressive folks who I always thought were the safe people. Right. Me too. <laughs> you know, the ones saying this stuff that they sound like conservative Christians talking about heavy metal bands in the eighties. You know what I mean? I'm going like, what? <laughs> and it's, and, I, and so I've got online and said a few things back, but one of the things I thought was like, just because he votes different than you and I, this is why we write this person off. Like, are you really going to let like politics and politicians rule our world this much? And as you know, mm. the country we live in is completely divided politically, yes. just completely separate. And I feel like we're given like the billionaires and the politicians, all this power over us, you know, and the guys who run all these social media sites, all this power over us. And we just sit and we fight with each other and tear each other apart over like two or different, like there's just no room for nuance. Anymore. Dude, you're, you're right on. I think, you know, and so that's what I try to do in my work is, is, is build a place for nuance. Last week I was mm. talking about, um, you know, how men are suffering right now. Yeah. Like not just conservative men and not just liberal men, but all men, yes. not just white men and not just black men, but all men, you know, are dying of higher levels of suicide. Yes. They're failing in school. They're dropping out of the workforce you know, this horrible thing. And, you know, and so I was like, we got to talk about this type. Mm. We need to be able to talk about this. And what's really hard for me is I was reading some of the comments about these things and people being like, well, they're finally getting what they deserve. Right, or, right. You know, oh, I guess they're just tired of not being the center of attention. And I, I, I look at the world and go, who has turned us into such monsters? Mm. Like we're always paring down and destroying each other and scapegoating each other to the point where there's not going to be anything left. Wow. You know, and we're always generalizing things. And people are like, ah, all cops are bastards, that cab, you know? And I'm like, sure. well, like, no, I mean, the system is broken. Yes, but not everyone is, mm. you know? And how can we act as, I mean, it feels like we just aren't thinking deep enough or we aren't acting like adults in some sort of way, you mm. know? That's that a good way to put it. we're all just kind of on cruise control. <laughs> yes, I feel like in some ways we're like adolescents and I, and I love adolescents. I, I work with teenagers all day long, but yeah. it's like we're teenagers running around just hating on each other. Yeah. And it's killing us. It's killing us. You know, and, and excluding each other, you know, and people are like, well, you know, and they, one of the things they notice is that like a lot of men are going towards like these really conservative right wing groups. And I'm like, well, yeah, because they make them feel like they're loved and accepted. That's right. You know, it's not so much that they hate you. It's just if they hate you and you already kind of don't like them, at least they're not hated in this small group. Yes. You know, and no, the thing is, right like, on. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's uh, like 100%. when I was in high school, I remember like there were Nazi skinheads and then there were sharp skinheads, and sharp stand for skinheads against racial prejudice. Yeah. And there were these two groups. And the funny thing is, like, I didn't see the Nazi skinheads beating up a lot of like people of color. What I did see them is that the Sharps and the Nazis, all these white skinheads <laughs> fighting each other. And so that was, they were each other's common enemy. And both groups just seemed to be sad guys looking for places to belong. Wow. And subscribing Absolutely. to either side just to have somebody who said, you know, we care about you. You know, you're not a piece of shit and blah, blah, blah. Cause I had friends on both sides. And I remember sitting down with like friends who were like, like, Nazi skinheads going like, why, why do you think this way? Mm. You know? And they would never give me good reasons. 
And I always be like, well, I think this is ridiculous, you know, but I was still able to have conversations with them. Sure. And I feel like I probably got that from my, my mom and my dad gotcha. to always be like, don't just automatically knock somebody out. You got to sit down and have a conversation. And there's something I think Hegel talks about it is that even when we dis, when we even have huge disagreements, if it's in person in hu- two humans interacting, there's an automatic recognition of each other's humanity. Oh yeah. That kicks in. Yes. It just naturally kicks in and you, the other person becomes a human and you're sitting there fighting and it might, might be in that moment. It might be in the few moments afterwards where you go like, Oh, why did I do that? Why that guy I do- was just defending his girlfriend. That guy was just, you know, was skipping in line because he had kids, you know, whatever the argument was about. Do you, do you but, think in our world of going back and forth on social media, that that aspect maybe gets muted some, and that's part of the problem? Yeah, I really do. Okay. You know, and, and my friends always think it's really funny because they always think, because I always go and one of Pete's friends said they were going to hire me as a lawyer because <laughs> someone was attacking Pete. And by the end of the conversation with Who this guy, Pete? they were inviting, yeah, <laughs> oh, Pete, Pete's not even, not even Pete has people who don't like him. So oh, one of them we were attacking Pete. And so I go on, I'm like, hey, you know, he's my best mate. And what you're saying about Pete isn't right and let me explain you know let's talk about this and by the end of the conversation the guy was like hey we should go skateboarding sometimes it was great talking to you blah 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 you know and so for me even on social media often i don't do this as much because i realized i was spending a lot of mental energy doing this sure sure Um, but but always trying to like I'm, i'm very defensive of people i care about because of what i went through as a kid of course you know, so, but it was always trying to be like, hold on, we got to work this out. We got to find the common ground. We got to take this to an end. This isn't just going to be an argument where we call each other pieces of shit and we go our separate ways. Right. You know, and um, to me, I think we do lose that a lot on social media. And that's why I would have to spend like an hour and a half going back and forth, but also being like, I'm not going to give up. Like, you're either going to have to block me or we're going to have to find an, a conclusion mm. to this type of thing. And, uh, you know, that's to me is, is what's important. And that's what I want to do in my work is encourage people to argue well and to disagree well yeah, and not go straight to war with each mm. other. Cause what is absence of conflict is war. Mm. So let's not avoid conflict. Let's figure out ways to have conflict. And it's amazing the, the, the fear that people have in conflict. Pete was telling me this parable about this village uh, and they were all fishermen and they all fished. Everybody had to fish so they could eat. And there was one person not fishing, mm. you know, and he was just, he was eating, but he wasn't fishing. So they all got together and they said, well, what are we going to do about it? And they decided what they were going to do. And so they come up and they slit his throat. <laughs> That's one way to what? do it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and I was like, he tells me this and I was like, it's, because me and Pete were having an argument. I was like, is he about to slit my throat? Um, <laughs> like, oh, they don't say. And um, and uh, and he goes, no, that's they were afraid of the conflict. They were mm. so scared of the conflict. And Pete was saying this. He's like, Jay, I was so afraid of bringing this up to you because I was afraid of our conflict. Mm. And he's like, and it, fine, it worked out. It worked out fine. You know, but we're often so afraid of the conflict that we'd rather kill the person and slit their throat then have the conflict. Man, that's so good. I feel like that's you what know? we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're slitting each other's throats left and right. And to me, that's just really sad. And it's really sad to see in, in groups that I, I see in people that I like little groups that really meant a lot to me growing up. Yeah. You know, like, you know, my more liberal brothers and sisters or my punk rock friends or, you know, different people like, 
sure. going after each other with such venom and wanting to like turn, you know, I was like, me and my dad don't talk and we've had a falling out, but my, my analyst has really helped me to see this. And he goes, you don't really have a lot of like ill will towards your father. You mm. just want to kind of work things out. Sure. And we were talking about boundaries and he's like, this is what I see. He's like, you, you know, most people just put up boundaries. He's like, but what you've put up as kind of a structure, mm. you know, where there's a door and a couple windows in your boundaries that are always allowing for someone to come back in or come back through. And he goes, that's what we don't do. We talk a lot about boundaries, but boundaries aren't necessarily good because it's just keeping everybody out. You know, there, we should have a door. So there's times where we are able to open those doors or open those windows and have those conversations and uh, not be full of malice. Um, But unfortunately, you know, that's what we see a lot of. And so that's where I think me and Pete's work kind of cross a little bit. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm more for a general audience, definitely. Okay. You know, I'm not a philosopher. Um, but I really, you know, I love philosophy and do my best to try to understand it. You mm. know? Dude, that's awesome. Okay. I, 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 I want to be very sensitive of your time. You know, I feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I, oh, okay. I'm kid free today. So. today. Oh, okay. Yeah. So no, so, so am I, um, I, I know one of the questions that, that I had that I, that I was wrestling with was, even write the name of the movie, the the name of the documentary, the the eyes of Tammy Faye. You know, and there's yeah. that, right there, there's there's that there's that beautiful sense in which I think she said when whenever people died, you know, I know her own mom and maybe a friend, she would she would take their glasses. Yeah, that, that was like symbolic for her. I, I was hoping maybe you could just get into that and help me understand why that was so important to her and what that meant to her. Well, I'm going to really analyze this for a second. Please, but I do. If, I have if you don't glasses. Mind. Oh, wow. I have her glasses as well. One of the last things we did together was go out and get her new eyeglasses. Mm. And I actually have a picture of my daughter wearing them. Oh, that's beautiful. And my mom always felt like it's like you kind of get a little peek of seeing through the other's eyes. Mm. Isn't that empathy? Like, what? I said, isn't that empathy? Yeah, it's totally empathy, you know? And it's totally kind of like a very, like, you know, unconscious way of thinking of like, you know, like you're literally going to put on their glasses and see through their eyes. You know what I mean? But still to her, it was like, you know, you're sharing this experience, Mm. something that they looked through every day and saw through every day. And I think in some ways, you know, like we were just talking about boundaries, you know, my mom's makeup in some ways was, might've been seen as the boundary, but the eyes were always there. So you could see in my mom when she was sad, you could see it in her eyes, Mm. you know? And, and she, you know, her eyes were like, it's funny that those that the movie and the doc were called The Eyes of Tammy Faye because those are the places that don't have makeup. Those are the places Interesting. that she's not necessarily known for. And it's really cool because my my daughter has my mother's eyes. My oh, daughter wow. has blue eyes like my oh, mom. Okay. Even though me and her mother are brown eyed. Are brown eyed, okay. She's got my mom's blue eyes. Um but you know, it's it is empathy. And it's the willing to realize that everybody hurts. She also used to have like all these little sayings, like God doesn't make any junk, Mm. you know, or that we're all made out of the same old junk, which they kind of were like, you know, contradictions in a way. But, but it was her way of seeing grace and humanity interacting with each other. Mm. Like God doesn't make any junk, but we're all made out of the same old junk. Mm. Here's a great contradiction. But the fact is, is we're accepted within all of that mess. We are complete within that. Within that contradiction, there is some sort of completion, something that's higher than truth, if you will. Mm. Um, that's more truth than truth. Um, the God beyond God mm. type of idea. Yes. And 
And so I think that was one of the things that was really interesting. And one of the things I found for myself being able, because I, I started seeing an analyst as soon as the movie started getting made and then the okay. play gets made. And so I'm like, I got to go to an analyst. I've been talking about it for years. So I'm like, I got to do this or I'm going to go insane. But then you realize like these films and this play and even the documentary we're working on and the documentary that was is people's, it's seen my mom through the eyes of someone else through the eyes of others. Mm. And so it's really this really interesting thing of this, this focus on the window to the soul, you know, the, sure. the, the unconscious, the unconditional, the trying to walk in someone else's shoes and seeing what others see. It, it, it's, 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 it's really powerful. And, um, and it's just amazing to, to have, uh, to have a mother who kind of saw that way and thought that way. And, and understood that, you know, I mean, I find out like in, in like people who do like, you know, theology, you can always kind of tell like, what glasses do they have Calvin glasses on? Right. Do they have Apostle Paul's glasses on? <laughs> do they have Jesus glasses on? You know, I mean, like what lens are they seeing this? Because you have sure. to negotiate, you have to make negotiations with the Bible and because uh, it's just a collection of writings. It's not an actual book. The book is a collect, it's like a library. Sure. And so it's like, you know, how do I, who, what are you seeing? What lens are you using? You know, so when I, when I was on a, uh, a, a podcast, you know, and, and this guy was, uh, had a, uh, had a, a doctorate in theology, but it was a Baptist. He, mm. he was a Baptist. So I knew the lens he was using when we sure. were, what we were arguing. I knew he was what line he was pulling. And for me, it's great. Cause I don't have a line anymore. You know, I don't have mm. a denominational line. So I'm like, well, I'm not, you know, I don't have to tow any line with me i don't have to have a particular type of lens i mean i have my own lens but i don't have the, a bigger you know denominational lens that i have sure. to look through and so you're able to have different conversations like that but yeah empathy is so vitally important because you when you realize well, why do people feel this way you know why do how does the other see me and why do they see me like this but you only learn that from sitting down and having a tough conversation you only learn that going like, well, how do I look to you? By asking someone, how do I look to you? Yes. And so that's why we often pay for therapists. Right. And, you know, because we want to be able to like, you, you know, analysts kind of go, oh, guess what? Nope, you're going to see your eyes through your own eyes. Like, <laughs> but a lot of therapists kind of help you see yourself yes. through their eye. Yes. And, um, and we pay for that because we don't get it mm. out in the world. You know, we, 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 we hunger for that and are willing to pay like a couple hundred bucks an hour uh, just to have someone else tell us how they see us. So we might yeah. be able to change. Um, but what we don't realize is that maybe that's, you know, we sit down with our family and go, well, how do you see us? You know, at, at Thanksgiving dinner, mm -hmm. rather than arguing over politics, well, how do you see me? You know, <laughs> do I come in and do I look like I have like a, like a little red star in my hat and like, I'm a communist or, you know what I mean? Like, what are you thinking? Like, what's going on here? And how can I better help you understand this? And how can I, can I tell you how I see you Yes. and why I feel this way? Mm. Um, but that take, that requires patience, mm. you know, and, and requires thinking. And that's another reason why I come back to Christianity a lot is because it talks about like practicing the fruits of the spirit. And one of those things is patience. It's just mm. learning to be patient with others. I think it really works. Even when I doubt, like it's, when I think it might be all fake and there's nothing anywhere. Right. But I still see the the beauty of understanding and being patient with other people and trying to understand why I'm an enemy to my enemy mm. and growing from that. And that that requires me to live life in a way that's not 
and it, it's not a fast, quick online app style of living. Right. You know, man, well said. Um, but it's really tough. Yes. It's really, it's, it's really hard. Okay. But I, it's worth it. Yeah. Oh, it's so worth it. Um, can I go back to the documentary real quick? It's on my mind. Yeah. Cause I, it, okay. Just, it, this is therapy for guys. I, I sometimes regretted it calling it that. Cause I think people get the wrong impression that it's just going to be like bro talk and all that stuff. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so far from that. I'm, I'm the least, you know, bro guy out there, but it's, I work with men almost exclusively. And, and some of these things that we're talking about, I think are so important in these communities, but I was fascinated by your relationship with your father. And, and the, the one thing that struck me about him was multiple times, I think you said in the documentary said that he was so fluent in the pulpit, right? He was this incredible speaker yeah. and, and was able to relate to people in that mode, but maybe interpersonally really struggled. And, and, I, and I, I'm, 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 I'm just curious kind of how that impacted you. And if, if I know you said you haven't spoken to him in a couple of years, if that's still kind of the way that you see him is just having a hard time connecting face to face interpersonally, but this incredible like speaker, right? Well, I almost felt like too, like if I would be a guest on his show, oh. we could have a more, because it's the audience demands a response. You know mm. what I mean? It's like, so you're on the spot to talk, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, there, yeah, I mean, it's always been difficult, you know, it was either, you know, big, and I always was like, just when he come around, got you without yeah. the camera, you know, I'm like, yeah, blah, 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 or like, he started getting really like, you know, doing that conservative stuff and being coming really into like apocalyptic stuff, you know, and, got you. and so I'd be like, dad, you sound like Pat Roberts and blah, blah. <laughs> and in his mind, he saw me like attacking him. Mm. You know, and in my mind, I was like, we're going to have a tough conversation. We're going to figure this out, you know, and he didn't see it the same way. Mm. And for me, it wasn't easy because he was my father. So I wasn't reading all the cues that I usually read, you know, right. I was just like, love me, daddy, love me, you know. Yes. And um, yeah, I mean, it's re- it's hard for him. He was, you know, he when he was a young man, really young, he was molested by a pastor in the church oh, when he was like six years old for quite a few years. Mm. And I think that really de- stunted his development and growth. Of course. And um, something like something happens when he's on the stage or when he's on camera where he's just able to become alive. Mm. I mean, I can remember times as just even a teenager uh, before, or like or preteen, you know, when he was at home, you know, sometimes I would try to talk to him and he would just get glazed over and just sit there and just be staring off into the nowhere. Wow. And I would go, earth to dad, earth to dad, you know, yeah. like that. And it's funny because I've had my son do that to me a couple of times, mm. you know? And so I, I keep, I keep an eye on it because now I know like it's easy to get lost in your thoughts and the troubles of the day and the oh, like, worries sure. for tomorrow. And Dissociate just, and. <laughs> I took dissociation as like my middle name. Yeah, man. same here. <laughs> like, there's times I'm like. I feel the steering wheel, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I smell the air. I'm doing all the practices, all the DPT practices to be oh, like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, my soul is in my body or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, but my dad, that happened to him a lot. And I don't think mm. he really had words for it. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, it is. And he does struggle with that, you know? And that was one of the reasons I was really hoping I could get him to be a part of this documentary that I'm working on because, 
he does so open up in front of a camera and he just becomes alive. Yeah, and right. I was hoping that we could have kind of that moment together. Sure. But now he doesn't trust anybody and doesn't even trust me, which is really weird because I was one of the people who helped him get out of prison early by yeah. working on his case. Oh, wow. As a teenager. Yeah, I did a lot with his appeal. And um, when I was like 15, 16, 17 years old. Dude, I, that's I fucking the, incredible. Wow. Yeah. So that's what I was like. I got to get dad home. You know, he can't spend 45 mm. years in prison. So I ended up serving five. You know, oh, but that wow. was because we, me and another guy and a couple other people worked our asses off to get him home, <laughs> you know, and, and show like, this is what really happened, you know? And it, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of tough work. But so when he says like, well, I don't know if I trust you, it was, that just felt like just, mm. it just, you know, I just felt like I was cut off from the knees. You know I mean? It was just yeah. devastating. But at the mm. same time, if I look at the history of my father's life and how he trusted Jerry Falwell and how he trusted, like, yeah. did interviews with people who just turned on him and bought of every joke. And so in some ways, you know, you look at someone like my mom and you go like, well, really, she's the exception to this rule. My mm. father's really more likely the person who went to prison and suffered through all this stuff and is reacting in probably the more natural way. Okay. You know? My mother was more of the one like, no, I'm going to get up and fight. You know, like she was going to like TJ Maxx and stuff like days before she died. Like, I love you know, it. She just was like, I got, I got to get out. I got to find a bargain. You know, we're going to go to Applebee's, which is so silly. And Dude, you know, can, she just wanted to live. There, there's a quote that I found that I shared with my wife and we, we loved it. She said, um, what did she say? Um, that going, <laughs> that it's cheaper. That to shopping sh- is cheaper than therapy. It's, it's shopping is cheaper than therapy. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, off the way she did it, she was uh, like a super like bargain hunter. Like all of her <laughs> Louis Vuittons and stuff were all fake. She loved to go to like flea markets and find out where they sell the fake stuff. And yeah, we were like, dude, those yeah. are some badass Chanel earrings. <laughs> yeah, you know, and she would buy all these like fake. I even found someone with like these Chanel. These I gave I gave Helen one of the Chanel things. I'm like, here's a fake Chanel <laughs> necklace, you know, that my mom bought for like eight dollars at the flea market, you know. And um, it was always a fun adventure, you know, with her. But she was kind of like that was her way of, you know, she these were those were coping mechanisms as well. Of course, I mean, not to, you know, you know, but but my father had the more of the broken man, yeah, you know, broken yeah. father. You know, and now he's, he doesn't barely trust anyone. And, mm. and, uh, that's a really hard place to be, especially in my work. You know, it's like with what I do, but mm. all I can do is, you know, I send him a text saying like, listen, mm. you know, I'm here. If you ever want to talk, I'm here. Gotcha. You know, and I'll still communicate with him sometimes, even though if I don't know if I'm going to get anything back, I'll just send him a text or something, mm. you know, just feeling like, you know, this is what I need to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough, man. It's, uh, my parents are very, two very complex people. And then I'm like the combination of those two people come together Wow. and, uh, you know, trying know. to make something out of my own life. I, I told my wife kind of joking, man, I would love to do therapy with that motherfucker. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might fall asleep. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. Well, it's been yeah. I've I've been I've been really lucky with having some mm. good. My analyst is really great and having some good therapists. Dude, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm dying to ask. I I 
when you said Hegelian, I I'm just I don't know if I should say this, but I'm I'm just gonna say it. Is it John Mills? No, no. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's a guy out here in Seattle. Um his first name's Roy, I'll just say that okay. for now. Okay. But, um, I'm gonna research the fuck out of that. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you I'll tell you his whole name later later. Um, okay. <laughs> but um he's He's incredible. Yeah, he's incredible. And I was shocked. He, and that's another reason I connected with him because I just, you know, finished, you know, probably my second reading of Todd's book on Hegel. Gotcha. And then Pete gave me this Hegel reader and um, that I was going through. And then I sat down and talked to him and I said, well, I'm really looking for somebody who's really, you know, he's Freudian. He's like, oh, I'm Freudian, but he's like also Hegelian. Oh, Hegelian. Wow. <laughs> the same. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, the contradiction. And he started talking about the contradiction. And I was like, mm. oh, this is where I got to be. Yes. And, um, it's really helped me to learn to just accept who I am and to know my own worth. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's such a different style of, of, um, seeing an analyst is such a strange, like therapy type of therapy because mm. it's, it, re- things get revealed to you like in your own head over time. Mm. You know, so it's like just the gears start working and the unconscious and all this stuff, you know, things start to change. And you're going in going like, oh, I'm seeing that. Like, because one day I was like, you should like have a therapist that helps us deal with the analysts. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> somebody, like, like is it normal that th- these changes are happening the way they're happening? And he's like, yeah, no, that's what happens. And, you know, because it's completely different than like DBT. Right. Therapy, right. You know, and so. um but yeah, it's 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 pretty great to be able to to get the help you need, and um, it's made me a better leader, a better speaker, a better father. Gotcha. You know, and that's how I see it. Is like I since this is called therapy for for guys, sure, you know, sure, I, mean, like sure. this, I mean, I literally see like therapy as like if I was going to school for philosophy or theology or anything to improve my life. Yes. You know, I see it as an investment, like because. Because unfortunately, I have insurance, but my insurance doesn't cover seeing an analyst. Right. You know, and so it costs a lot. But I'm like, this is going to make me a better dad. Mm. And being a better dad is going to make me a better speaker. And being a better speaker, you know what I mean? And just 100%. so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And um, so that's why I think that's vital. That's so great. If anybody's listening and you're sitting here going, like, I'm listening to this because I don't know if I should do it, just do it. Like, dude, I know I really appreciate you saying that. It? Yeah. Okay. So, Jay, um, I feel like I've taken way too much of your time. Is there anything else about you, your your incredible, beautiful mother, who my wife and I both wish we would have met because we want to give her a hug. We want to actually get a hug from her. I think that's the better way to say it, honestly. Um, and, and I want to peer into her beautiful eyes. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to say, you know, kind of before we, you know, close it off? Well, no, I mean, she, you know, she, it's funny, like, uh, just mom, it's funny because she was like 4'11". Very really? small. I'm six lady. five, so I probably wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could, she would be like at your waist. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and you know, she was a real powerhouse, and yeah, I'm really grateful to be able to. You know, she's been gone 15 years now, and it's like mm. I had a really amazing experience with my mother. You know, like my sister had a different experience with my mom, but they had sure. a different, you know, different, sure. you know. But it's like. I'm grateful for the experience I had with her and that she was in my life. And I'm grateful now to see people celebrating her work Mm. and looking back and going like, okay, 
you know, because your whole life, you know, I grew up with dyslexia. So it was like, oh, you're lazy or, oh, you're, you know, you're dumb or, oh, you know, and you, you want to like write all these wrongs, you know, mm. and, and then seeing like these people like Elton John and Jessica Chastain and like World of Wonder and all these people celebrate my mother and even my father to a bit. Wow. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you know, save your applause to the end of the show, you know, like let life continue to go like, you know, redemption comes in very different shapes and different ways. Like if you would have told me that I was going to talk on a zoom call with Elton John one day about a play that he made about my mother, I would just be like, that's insane. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. (laughs) You know, but that happened. Wow. And what was he celebrating is my mother's love and compassion for others. Mm. And, you know, I always go back to thinking about this verse in the Bible where Jesus, the last thing he says at the last supper, he goes, I want you guys to love each other. Mm. And he goes, because by your love for one another, will not, will people will know that you're mine. Mm. And I think if my mom wanted to be known something, she would want to be known as someone who really loved Jesus. Mm. You know, very Jesus-y lady. And that's what she's being celebrated for, yeah. is her love. Her unconditional, they know she is known for her love for others. Absolutely. And so to me, it's like job well done, mom, mm. you know, and, and that's what I want in my life. You know, like I want to be known because I gave grace to others, you know, mm. that I showed grace to others and maybe too much grace, you know? And so to have that part of your life and part of your lineage and learning to live with it, you know, like. I think for some people, it's like a big shadow. Like, oh, you know, I'm not going to come up here and talk about my theology. I'm going to talk mostly about my mom. Sure. But that's okay because now my mom's influenced my theology. Yeah. God, I mean, how Freudian is that? Um, <laughs> yes. Like, so I am Freud's dream. I love it, man. <laughs> you know? And um, I, I don't see a penis behind you, though. <laughs> I, no, that's true. I've given up all penis-shaped things in my mouth. So. <laughs> okay, got you. <laughs> I mean, unless Diet Coke counts, but my mother was also a Diet Coke. Dude, addict, I was so. I was wondering if if you got the the touch of the Diet Coke addiction. <laughs> I did. Okay. It's bad. I gave it up for a while. This is this is another thing. You can edit this out if you want or keep. No, it. fuck care. that. I'm gonna keep everything. He, he sat me down and got me to quit Diet Coke for about six months. Wow. Because he was like, "I'm not buying you Diet Coke anymore, bro." And I was like, "What do you mean I'm buying me Diet Coke?" <laughs> He's like, "I don't want to be part of it." You're like, you got a problem, you know? So <laughs> me and my mom have both had Diet Coke, bad Diet Coke addictions, but I'm also like a recovering alcoholic and I haven't had a drink of alcohol since I was 20. Oh, so, wow. um, so I, I'll, you know, I'm going to try a little bit more of the Diet Coke cause I'm afraid I'll be anti Pete and say, I'm going to encourage your, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and now you're speaking my language. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's all I have to say is like, you know, be open to be patient with others and try mm. not to scapegoat each other's and 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 don't let the media do your thinking for you. Don't let yeah. society pressure you into thinking one way or the other. You know, it's okay to question authority even when the authority is the cool people. Mm. You know, oh, that's damn, that's good. Yeah, I mean, right now it's like, you know, the authority's like hip you know and it's that, like the company's that, like you that's know, why i think we're, we're adolescents right we're kind of looking for the the cool crowd and we're wanting to follow them and it's it's not about that yeah no it, it, it it's it's learning to live a, a a radical life of radical individuality yes and if you're lucky enough 
you're able to do that in a way that doesn't exclude people based on things that you don't agree with. Mm. And you're able to realize that that's more of an opportunity to learn and grow more and maybe even be put on the right path yourself. Yes. Um, by, by allowing that to be a part of your life mm. and, and also realizing like, and this is one thing I have to remind myself constantly is that there's a lot of people who are not reading, not reading, going to read Hegel. <laughs> you know, a lot of people aren't going to read Tillich. Uh, right. A lot of people aren't going to pick up a Freud book or a lot of people <laughs> aren't going to go through a psychoanalyst, you know, sure. um, or go through DBT, you know. Um, but so be, I have to be a little bit more patient with others. But at the same time, you know, why I do what I do is because I'm communicating with those, a lot of people who those are avenues they might not take. Yeah. Hey, ho- hopefully and, they're going to um, watch the documentary yeah. that you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think hopefully they will. It should, it's, it's going to be awesome. It's been, it's, it's like never ending. Like I feel like we've been working on it forever, gotcha. but we're getting close to the end and um, I'm very excited about the outcome. That's, so that's awesome. But thanks for having me. I feel like yes, I'm very Jay. different than like very different than a, a Rollins or a, you know, no, honestly, this has been one of my favorite like conversations. Like they, I can, t- I can uh, definitely tell there's this, thread with you and with Todd McGowan and with Pete Rollins you, you're, you're the guys that I want to get close to because I'm, I'm so resonating it's it's exactly how I think about things so I well, it's it's yeah I mean it's 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 a cool it's a cool thread man it is a cool you know? thread and it's not it's not a clubhouse you know it's not it's not a secret society. Yeah, you fuck know, that. it's something that, and I just speaking from my own, you know, being dyslexic, being high school dropout, sure. you know, being self-taught with most of my work is uh, can be intimidating to be best friends with someone who has, you know, who is a doctor sure. in philosophy, sure. you know, and then have more friends who are doctors in philosophy and filmmakers and all these things. But what's brilliant is when you get to know these people and you can find common ground. And the common ground you're looking at is how can we help others live life well at the same time live our lives well. Oh, and that's man. a really great way to live, you know? Dude, I couldn't agree more. Okay, you so know? Jay, we, we, I have this thing that I try to end every podcast just by asking the guests to finish with the statement, continue the conversation, just capturing okay. the spirit of what I'm about. Would you mind just saying that? Am I just saying continue the conversation? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Did Pete laugh? <laughs> well, Did he, he, laugh? he laughed and then he said something else and then he said it. <laughs> yeah, no, because we're both get weird when we get put on the spot to say things. Um, oh, yes. Uh, you can also say your own version why. of it, too. <laughs> you know what? It's continue the conversation. Is that it? That's it. Continue the conversation. Thank you for listening to the podcast, guys. 
I'd love to connect with you. Whether that means you sign up for therapy or you send me an email asking a question or maybe even explore what it would look like to get on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. The best way to do that is to find me on my website at kikeautry.com. That's Q-U-I-Q-U-E-A-U-T-R-E-Y.com. Or you can just Google me and there you'll find my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter accounts. You can also go to the website of the practice I work at where I'm the Leeds Men's Counselor. That's katiecounselingformen.com. I hope that you guys are inspired by what we explore today. And as always, continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.